It's bad ink jam, but not as we know it. This is bad. Welcome to the Bookie Bashing Weekly Bashcast, brought to you by BookieBashing.net. This is big, looking at next week's opportunities and last week's profits. This is Bashcast episode number 130, Freddy Dunning-Kruger. It's five minutes to nine on Thursday, the 31st of January, 2019. Coming up on tonight's Bashcast... Some uh, negative expectation to be found in my local car dealership. We talk about the Dunning-Kruger effect and why some people seem to have unlimited confidence. Horse racing on the weekend takes centre stage. And we look forward to the Super Bowl after the break. We discuss the best sporting events of all time. WSOP restructure one of their bracelet events and HQ Trivia make the news. All that and more coming up in tonight's Bashcast. We've got Lazio versus Inter on the TV behind me. It's kind of a dull nil-nil since we had... um, Inter to win and over two goals in the game and we're coming up to halfway through the second half so that bet is probably over which was a 9-1 to one William Hill shop offers just you think of the William Hill shop offers are going to die that was a turn to back 8 to lay nothing special other than the fact that you can get really decent limits on it but um, yeah I don't think Inter are going to are going to help us out here um, hope you had a good week we have had a very busy day. Um, this bashcast is uh, really late. I, d- I don't normally do it at quarter past nine in the evening. I'm normally getting ready for bed around this time. But um, I have a glass of wine and it's quarter past nine at night because we have migrated over from Telegram to Discord. Telegram was getting um, unmanageable. It, well, I don't think it's... Nothing is suited to having a group with 200 people in it because some people just silent some people have louder voices than others some people um have uh, really important things to say but quieter voices so they're not heard um different personalities probably clash i mean in 200 people how many different personalities are you gonna get you're gonna get loads um and having everybody in one thread dilutes a lot of the important information um and even whatever is classified as important information, it differs from person to person. So uh, we were on Discord last summer, but we had a quarter of the people. And 
we voted to stay on Telegram, and I guess when you've got like fifty people or so, it, that works. But uh, it's a different ball game now. Discord, who and it's just buzzed because I haven't muted the computer. Discord um, has loads of different channels in it, which means that all of the chat isn't funneled into one place. And I think that's the primary benefit. So we moved over there today. So that's been stressful enough, but I think it's kind of gone relatively pain-free. So we will see. Other than that, quietish week. I think we've decided we're going to change cars. So we have the main car, and we have the shit car. And the shit car is just too shit. I realise this. Like The main car is used for the kids because it's the big car. It's a big Toyota cash car we bought after a Cheltenham festival a few years ago and the runaround car well I used to have a company car and I swapped the company car for a runaround car which was essentially just to get Jen to the station and back but now the runaround car is my car when on a Saturday when the kids uh, need ferrying around because the runaround car is just a shitty Peugeot but honestly like it's too shitty. <laughs> it's like I'm embarrassed to be sat at traffic lights with this thing. It's like a Peugeot 307 from 2000 and whatever. 2000 and a year that before Bluetooth existed. Because there's no Bluetooth in the car. So um, it needs to go. It needs to be replaced. But it's only still a runaround car. I mean, I, I noticed this as I was driving up to um, Birmingham the other week to hit the shops on a Saturday, and I had my um, Mac Air book, and I was leaving the Mac Air book in the car, and I felt like you could have gained access to the car just with like a screwdriver, or perhaps just one of those credit card tricks where you slide the credit card and open up the lock. So I was like, we need to get a new car. Nothing fancy, like five grand will do. And then at least I can drive up and down the motorway and visit some shops on Saturday. And if I ever am seeing going into a shop and placing a couple of thousand pounds worth of bets, they will sort of associate that I'm not the kind of person that drives around in an 800 pound Peugeot and puts on two grand's worth of bets at a shop when I stop there. So we went to a car supermarket trade place just to go and look at what was available and as someone that is anal about positive expectation but doesn't blink twice about losing, you know, if I lose a £1,000 or £2,000 in an evening, it's fine. That's par for the course. That happens all the time. I'll win a 1000 lose a 1000 I'll win more than i lose, but, you know. But then you take me shopping and I am the tightest git you will ever meet in the entire world. <laughs> And like, I you know, I went, went on Sasha's birthday. I didn't spend an extra twenty pounds on a birthday present for her because I thought it wasn't worth the value. And then I realised, like, how I don't even blink when I'm putting and losing two hundred pounds on a mug, and then I am not spending twenty pounds extra on my daughter's birthday because I don't think she'll get value out of it, which is really bad. It's the same when we're car shopping. I turn into the t like I forget how easily I lose and make money. And so, you know, I make a decent amount of money. Like, I wouldn't do this full-time if I didn't. A lot of advantage players, a lot of people at Bucky Bash and make a decent amount of money, so it's not like I'm showing off or bragging there. We've, we're doing well for ourselves because we we've, we've sort of worked out how to, 
how to beat the bookmakers, how to how to get on enough value. And so, but what, what in terms of this runaround car, and made my mind up that I was spending five thousand pounds. That was the that was the upper limit, and I would have been very happy if I'd spent less than that. Five thousand pounds is where I would go to, but I was kind of aiming for something less than that. And we do have the Peugeot trade, and so we turn up. First thing, everything costs. So they they haven't just shaved off a pound, they've shaved off a penny off all of these cars. So nothing costs £8,000. It costs £7,999.99. The place was so cheap they couldn't have even given up on the 99 pence at the end of the price they wanted that as well. To me, that's just irritating. It's taking up too much. I have to do the mental calculation every time I see that. That's eight grand. It's not £7,999.99, pence. it's eight grand. There's way too many nines there. You've made the number bigger than it needs to be. And I would prefer it if they were just honest and said it's eight grand. Do they, if you pay in cash, do they ever give you a penny back if you give them eight grand in cash? I'm going to do that. Actually. I'll take my betting float with me. See if I get a penny back. Anyway... The second thing is that this place had 2.8 stars on Google reviews. Yet you get there, it says it's got 9.8 out of 10 stars, but didn't say where those stars were from. So I didn't trust that. There were a lot of things that I didn't trust about it. And the third thing is, as soon as I walked in, I was greeted by a salesman. A salesman of second-hand cars, of used cars. Some would say the man was a used car salesman. I'm not going to hold that against him. Everyone needs to have a job. I don't know what you decided to do when you were older. I was always intrigued by Advantage playing gambling, and I'm quite happy and satisfied that that's now what I'm doing. I'm not changing the world. I'm no brain surgeon. I'm not working for a charity. You know, I'm I'm not I'm no structural engineer, rocket scientist. I'm not really particularly doing anything good for humanity. I'm just doing something that I enjoy, getting satisfaction out of that. Booyah for me. Now I'm not going to tell you. That there are child not that there are not children in the world that don't sit there and wish that they were working in a call center, or in insurance, or as a second-hand car salesman because maybe there are. And maybe this guy was one of them. But if he was, the problem is, they look at you, like they can take advantage of you, and I think that is the bit that really irritates me about about going and buying a second-hand car. So that he's looking at me and wondering how much money he can elicit from me. I've spent my entire life figuring out how much money I can elicit from other people. And I go into immediate lockdown mode. Like, I just don't like the guy. If you were playing poker against me and you read my body language, what you would have read was, this guy doesn't like me. <laughs> the fact that he was a young, 23-year-old cocky kid, you know, men doesn't mean doesn't mean anything you know i could have been i could have been 18 years old and he could have been a cocky 23 year old kid he just came across like kid the cocky 23 year old kid so i say to him he says what's your budget i say it's five thousand pounds that's how much i'm going to spend on a car today the very first car he takes me to see is on sale for eight thousand pounds the very first car i'm I'm sorry the summer state you must have misheard me i said that my limit was five thousand pounds and he said i'll tell you what just for you we could do a deal 
and we could knock off £500 from that. And I stare at the guy. I'm like, right. So you could knock £500 off an eight grand car. You'd still be at seven. You'd still be at 50% over what the maximum I'm willing to spend is today. And so we moved away from the seven grand car and eight grand car and we moved on to a six and a half thousand pound car. We're getting closer, but I think you've again not heard what I'm saying. The maximum I can do is five grand and we went to a six grand car. I said, no, I I got a little bit angry. And I said, you've now taken me from an eight to a seven to six. Are we going to get to the five next? Because I'm not interested. I think I'm just going to go home. And he said, well, are you going to part exchange a car? I said, yeah, I've got a car at home that I'm going to part exchange. That doesn't change how much I'm going to spend overall. I could have a £50,000 Ferrari at home. I'm still only going to be spending five grand. He's like, well, let's see how much we can get for it. And he takes down the details of my shit Peugeot. And I'm really getting annoyed at this moment in time. He says, well, we can part exchange that and knock some money off the six grand car and we'll get closer to your five grand. I was like, no, we won't. You see, the five grand is my upper limit, including any part exchange or anything like that. So all we've done here is waste everyone's time figuring out how much the part exchange is going to be. The part exchange is completely irrelevant. I would like to see a car for five grand. And he stands next to the car that's six grand. And he asked the question, how will I be paying for it? And I said, I'll be paying for it in cash. And he asked the question that, did I know that if I used finance to pay for the car, that I may find that I can afford a more expensive car through utilising monthly payments? I'm sorry, my wah, 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 I asked the guy. He said, let's just rewind here a second. Are you telling me that a £6,000 car is cheaper if I spread the payments over five years at £120 per month? Anyone with GCSE mathematics can work out there that we've got 60 months at £120 per month. So we're doing a total repayment on a £6,000 car that we were willing to buy outright of £7,200. And he's making it look like a good deal by saying it's only £120 a month. In fact, he said that's £30 a week. You see, he split the month up, the £120 a month, into even smaller increments. And said it was £30 a week, which now I was taking offence. And I said to him, £30 a week, that's a bargain. The problem is, I don't have an income. Um, And he looked at me. And I stared at him and went, all I do, and by the way, I've got a pram with my six-month-old child and my three-year-old in my hand. I said, all I do is bet on football coupons every week for a job. And so I don't have a guaranteed income. I don't know if I'll get the finance, but £30 a week. What is that? What is £30 a week? That, that's £4.25 per day. £4.20. All I would have to do is win £4.25 per day on the football coupons. What's that an hour? I asked him again. You know, he was staring at me. I don't know if I was coming across like an arse or not. But I felt like I didn't have a lot of sympathy for the guy because I felt like now he was he was not just ripping me off, but he was ripping off everybody that had come before me and was going to rip off everyone that came after me. So I asked him how much it was an hour. And then I posited that um, £4.25 
per day is about 20p per hour. Let's say, just for enlightenment, that we're going to sleep for half the day. It would be about 40 pence for every waking hour, which is less than a penny a minute. Every minute that we're alive is just less than 1p to pay for this car. Every single minute. That's a bargain, isn't it? Uh, and then I turned around with Sasha and you and I walked out of the place. Now, granted, this guy was just a 23-year-old guy doing his job. But I didn't need to act like a dick to him. But at the same time, there were cars in the car lot that we were walking past that were worth 499.99, right? So he was selling cars for five grand when I said that my upper limit was five grand and we never once looked at any of them. Because when I walked in with my family, the very, very first thought he had when I said what my, what my upper limit was, was how much more can I get out of this guy? That's the problem. And so I freely put my hands in the air and say that I acted like a dickhead to this guy. I didn't act in a manner where I was being his best friend and we would go out for a drink. I was kind of taking the piss quite a lot. But I was doing that because I was being ripped off. And I hate it. And I hate the process of buying a second-hand car like that. So I'm now just going to go on Auto Trader and buy it off a private seller and the engine will probably fall out in the next couple of days. There's my moan. Cristiano Ronaldo was a captain for Juventus against Kievo last Monday. It was actually the Monday before the last Bashcast. I just forgot to talk about it, but I wanted to. It was one of these bets that was on in William Hill's daily offers. This one was slightly different. It was Juventus to win 3-0, 4-0 or 5-0 and Cristiano Ronaldo to score. Slightly difficult to work out, but not impossible. What, what, What we can do, we can't put a precise figure on it, but we can work out if it's positive EV or not. And sometimes that's all you need to know. Sometimes you don't need to know how positive EV it is. You just need to work out whether it is or not. And so we, this was up at eight to one. And we take the Dutch of the correct scores and that came out to five to one, so 6.0. So what we can posit is that as long as Ronaldo is better than nine divided by six to get a goal in the match, then it's going to be positive EV because, you know, if they win 3-0, 4-0 or 5-0, the chances of Ronaldo getting one of those goals improves substantially from his anytime goal scorer price. So we need his anytime goal scorer price to be 1.5 or better and his anytime goal scorer price was exactly 1.5. So, you know, if it's 1-0 and Ronaldo scores and he's 1.5 to get that goal, then it's a neutral EV bet because it's more than one nil because we know there's more than one goal in the game and we know that the bet um, is positive EV we just don't know how much but given that the goals now go up to five nil that that you know what are the chances of when Ronaldo's 1.5 to score in the match Juventus getting five goals and Ronaldo not being one of them that's pretty slim because he's, he's the kind of player as well Ronaldo he plays the whole game because he throws his toys out of the pram when he doesn't play the whole game so we knew that goal was good. Sorry, that bet was good. And Juventus were cruising 2-0 up because um, Kieva are really struggling. It was um, Douglas Costa, Emery Can who had goals. 
But the biggest talking point of this match was when a penalty was awarded in the second half. And I had to double check, but yes, the last three penalties taken by Juventus were all taken by Ronaldo. So he is um, he is the penalty taker. And he did take this penalty. And so they're 2-0 up, and it's like the 78th minute now. So this is almost guaranteed that this is going to come in unless either he misses or Kievo come back, get a goal. But he was denied spectacularly by the outstretched hand of Stefano Sorrentino, which is the goalkeeper for Chievo. Following the match, Ronaldo spoke of the penalty miss and claimed that he had now lost a pre-season bet with his manager. It's true, I had a bet with my coach on scoring every penalty this season, said Ronaldo, as per the Independente. I'm ready to keep it. It makes me happy to know that my contribution is appreciated by my coach and my teammates. They really welcome me very well and I want to repay their trust and support with hard work. Whilst Ronaldo was busy focusing on the fact that he is soon to be out of pocket, Allegri downplayed the miss in a post-match press conference suggesting that even the best players can spurn a penalty every once in a while. Important penalties are others. It can happen to miss a penalty, the Juventus manager said. I don't think this is the first time that Ronaldo misses a penalty in his career. The most important thing is that the team went on to win in the end. He, Ronaldo, wanted to score and in the second half technically played much better, but he did not get there in the end. So he lost his wager and lost me about the sum of a second-hand Nissan Astra in the process of doing so. The FA Cup fourth round on the weekend, um, I'm not going to focus on it primarily because Newcastle went out miserably to Watford 2-0. Also, uh, late money came in. It was really late, though. Like, in the third round, money came in and also the traders held the prices at Betfred, which was kind of the... uh, the, So the traders held the prices, there were massive steams, and the money came in early. It's a trifecta of perfect opportunity. This was the opposite. Uh, whilst money did come in, it came in very late, and the traders were not holding the prices. So anytime anything was suspected of uh, steaming in, they were getting cut instantly. That happens. It's almost like there's been a bollocking at Betfred. And I say this seriously, there's probably been a bollocking with whoever is responsible for cutting the prices on the coupons. And so they're just cutting them a little bit sharper. But don't worry, they'll be sleeping again in the future. Uh, so it seemed a lot harder work to get on them. Every time someone was visiting the shop, there were just more and more and more cuts. And every time there's more and more and more cuts, it just be, seems like the tracker is um, never showing anything in the green. To me, I don't worry too much about whether teams are green or not. You know, I worry even if it's 100% EV, that still means that most of those teams have come in by about 5%. The 7th Heaven coupon is called 7th Heaven because apparently every game is priced up 107% over the normal price. Now, I, I haven't seen the proof of this, but I've seen Betfred themselves say it in a tweet. So if there's 101% EV price, I'm not betting on it because I'm getting 1% on top of my money. I'm betting on it because smart money has pushed it down and come in for it. And someone thinks that those teams are going to win. And relative to their opening prices, they are better. That's why. So about a lot of the fourth round got on a significant amount of volume because I was excited after doing so well in the third round. And as it transpired, 
uh, I had a pretty miserable day and I think everyone did. There weren't that many games that came in on the Saturday. I actually needed pretty much a clean sweep of perfect results on the Sunday just to break even. I needed Crystal Palace to beat Spurs uh, 2-0. I needed Chelsea to beat Sheffield Wednesday. I needed Hibs to win. I needed Rangers to win. And all of that happened um, and got me out of a hole because if I didn't have a perfect set of results on the Sunday, I was probably going to show my worst... um, my worst coupon results of the season, but that's okay. We'll survive if that happens. It was all—it's uh, all with an expectation. And to tell you the truth, on a really, really bad weekend to have broken even, then I'm perfectly uh, happy about that. I saw somebody comment that um, January is coming to an end, and that is a good thing because. Things like the FA Cup third round and fourth round offer no value for advantage players. And I rolled my eyes a little bit. I think that's just a comment of someone that isn't that experienced or doesn't really know what they're doing or is too reliant on the low-hanging fruit stuff because we are looking for opportunities where prices are moving. That's exactly when we want to be betting. Almost the worst time of the year for us. Like, the worst game to bet on in the entire year is the Champions League final. It's the worst. In fact, every year for the last six years, I have gone on holiday with my friends over the, say, over the weekend of the Champions League final. We normally all go down to um, the Gower Peninsula in Wales and we set up our tents and um, go camping with all the children. And that's because... There's only one sporting event on that Saturday. Everyone's focus is... And money shapes that game to within an inch of its life. And it's shaped so much that smart money can't move it. And there are very few edges to be had. I I don't care who you are. All the betting syndicate money in the entire world has bet on the Champions League final. And you don't have an edge over them. I'm sorry, but you don't. Nobody does. If you did have an edge over them, you'd have a betting syndicate behind you that would be worth millions. I don't. I'm pretty sure you don't. If you did, you wouldn't be listening to me. That's another thing, right? So I don't like the Champions League final. I don't like a lot of Champions League evening games. I do like things like the FA Cup third round, the FA Cup fourth round. I do like League Cup evenings in the middle of the week where we're full of games that don't have much liquidity in the markets but there's nothing else to bet on, so money comes from somewhere and you can see really big price movements and that's when there's opportunities for money to be made. I saw someone ask the other day a question, not on my forum, somewhere else. They asked, is the money to be made by following football teams on Twitter and reacting to team news and of course there is I think everyone listening to this knows that there is I mean we talk about it week after week the other week we had uh, Gabriel Jesus from Manchester City it all comes down to the strength with which a football team releases its um, lineup sometimes they will release a weak team in which case you probably want to be laying that team backing the opposition and then going into other markets and probably 
better than the one times two market is the half time and the half time full time market because it is less liquid and so you're more able to get an advantage there. And also more prominently when certain key strikers are rested, you want to be looking at the anytime goal scorer first goal scorer markets and if there ever was uh, any liquidity in the last goal scorer you could be there and sometimes there are major gains so i mean there's a serious breadth of um uh, strategies techniques and markets with which we can take advantage of, of team news and a lot of the time team news just says you know we're having exactly the same team that everyone expected and there is no major change and so what we're doing here is we're waiting for the one in ten team news sheets that um, are different enough to expectations that are going to cause markets to fluctuate and we're going to take um, advantage of those fluctuations and even if not one of the things that was happening a couple of years ago was that you've got to identify tournaments and opportunities where there's more back money than there is lay money a lot of the time there's more lay money in a market and they're inf inflatedly high. Other times there's more back money in a market that comes in late. So one of the examples was the 2016 euros. And we noticed that every single time in almost every game, the key strikers in the first goal scorer market, their prices would plummet. And that's because... On the Betfair exchange, some mugs had realized that, and by mugs I mean people that just like to back bets without any consideration of value, they realized that they could get a higher price backing on the exchange. It doesn't take a genius to work out that William Hill are offering 4 to 1 and you can get 6.5 on the exchange. But even more prominently was a young man called Cristiano Ronaldo Every time his price was dropping by about 30%. And after the first game, we realized this and we started betting £1,000 on him at whatever price. We would back £1,000 and then let his price drop and we would lay £1,000. And we get a risk-free shot at whatever the you know decimal change was. So if he went from 4 to 3.7 we and um, we backed and laid, we'd be getting a free shot at £300. But, and that, by the way was a very that would be considered a very small drop for what he was doing he was often dropping by 30 40 percent he would be going from 4.2 all the way down to 3.0 and it was just it wasn't smart money and it wasn't reactionary it was because there was just more back money liquidity in the market than there was lay and so we were taking advantage of that that was a combination of team news and an imbalance of backers and layers, which is, again, good news. It doesn't matter if there are more layers or it doesn't matter if there's no more backers. The only thing that matters is there, there is an imbalance. It's how we take advantage. It's really easy to do that as well. It's about noticing patterns and taking advantage when you, um, when you see those patterns. So anyway, this person had posited that you could take advantage of team news. He was 100% right. But what I found the strangest was that the comments that immediately followed this. Now, were these people trying to protect their own interests? I don't think so. I don't think they were. Genuinely, people that didn't trade Team News, didn't understand the fluctuation of prices at Team News, didn't understand the imbalance of back money and lay money in certain markets at certain times and certain tournaments. These people were just turning up and saying... Um, 
Of course you can't, it's impossible. So it, one of various arguments was used, okay? First of all, people would say it's impossible. It's impossible to do that. It's impossible to predict. You can't possibly predict anything. Nothing can be predicted. It's impossible to predict anything. Zero things can ever be predicted ever. Secondly, if it could be done, bots would sweep up the money. Like there are these artificial intelligence bots out there that can work out all these different parameters and notice these patterns and act accordingly just with a little bit of programming. Are you serious? People think AI is a lot more clever than it is. And people say, oh, if you can make money, then artificial intelligence will figure it out. Really? Artificial intelligence will figure out that Cristiano Ronaldo is way more of a high-profile player than anyone else, and there'll be a serious imbalance of back money than lay money in the market. Is that what an art? Are you telling me that someone has programmed an artificial intelligence bot to do that? They haven't. Quite simply, someone said, um, "Do you think you can really?" And this is a common. Do you think you can really take advantage of the bookies, and the bookies aren't on top of it? Yeah. Simple answer. Yeah, I do. Not only that, I think I can make a living out of it and pay my mortgage out of that exact thing that you just said. <laughs> but what's weird is all these people saying you cannot do it where do they get the confidence for saying that with such authority as well you see if someone asks a question that i don't know the answer to my immediate response isn't pretending that i know what the answer is so this in the field of psychology is known as the Dunning-Kruger effect. It's a cognitive bias in which people of low ability have illusory superiority and mistakenly assess their cognitive ability as greater than it is. So this illusory superiority comes from the inability of low ability people to recognize their lack of ability and without the self-awareness of metacognition low ability people cannot objectively evaluate their competence or incompetence this was described by david dunning and justin kruger in 2011 so let's look at this original study actually it was earlier than that it was 1999 sorry so the psychological phenomenon, phenomenon of illusory superiority was identified as a form of cognitive bias in Kruger and Dunning's 1999 study, Unskilled and Unaware of It. How difficulties in recognising one's own incompetence lead to inflated self-assessments. So the identification derived from the cognitive bias evident in the criminal case of MacArthur Wheeler, who robbed banks whilst his face was covered with lemon juice, which he believed would make it invisible to the surveillance cameras. <laughs> this belief was based on his misunderstanding of the chemical properties of lemon juice as an invisible ink. We've all been there. We've all been robbing banks with lemon juice on our face thinking that it was invisible to cameras or it made us invisible to cameras. So other investigations of the phenomenon, such as why people fail to recognize their own incompetence from 2003, indicate that much incorrect self-assessment of incompetence um, derives from the person's ignorance of a given activity standard of performance. Dunning and Kruger research 
also indicated that training in a task such as solving a logic puzzle increases people's ability to accurately evaluate how good they are at it. In Self-Insight, Roadblocks and Detours on the Path to Knowing Thyself from 2005, Dunning described the Dunning-Kruger effect as the anosognosia of everyday life, referring to a neurological condition in which a disabled person either denies or seems unaware of his or her disability. He stated, if you're un incompetent, you can't know that you're incompetent. The skills you need to produce a right answer are exactly the skills you need to recognize what a right answer is. So there is a graph that goes along with the Dunning-Kruger effect. And here on the x-axis, you can imagine knowledge. And on the y-axis, the vertical axis, confidence. So knowledge on the x, confidence on the y. And what the Dunning-Kruger effect shows that immediately, with very little knowledge, very little knowledge of a subject, people have extreme amounts of confidence. The most amount of confidence that they will ever have until they get a small amount of knowledge, until they realize what they know and what they don't know. And then they're not, their confidence plummets to near zero and slowly starts to rise, never actually rising to a point that is higher than the confidence they had when they had just a tiny, tiny amount of knowledge on the subject. And this, I think, very much applies to trading, value betting and gambling where there are significant numbers of people that believe they know everything and in fact are just right at the peak of Mount Stupid at the beginning of the Dunning-Kruger curve. Me, myself, I don't proclaim to know a lot or everything, by, by any means close to everything. I think I know what I don't know and certainly I'm not at the beginning peak. My confidence is enough that I have a bash cast about it, but my confidence is also enough that I give credit to other places for people that know a little bit more than I do, Emporium definitely being one of them. When it comes to writing Monte Carlo simulators on casino offers, Mike Krushank at betting uh, a profit maximizer is another one of them. But for those people that butt in on these topics of conversation, when they're saying that it's impossible to trade money from the release of Team News, they sit at the top of Mount Stupid at the beginning of the Dunning-Kruger curve, having a picnic and being blissfully unaware of what else is going on in the big wide world around them. Okay, guys, that is enough for the first half. You are listening to the Bashcast, and it's brought to you by BookieBashing.net. It doesn't hurt me. Just
Welcome back to the Bashcast. It's um, Running Up That Hill by Candy Says, cover of Kate Bush, classic. Released January 2019, my first hottest record of the year for 2019. It's a hell of a song. Hell of a song. In the Bucky Bashing News, the WSOP have released their schedule, as they do most Januaries, for the Summer Poker Tournament Series in Las Vegas in the Rio Hotel. It's something I usually like to head over for. And so the big day this year, Wednesday, the July the 3rd, is the No Limit World Championship $10,000 buy-in main event i've got to go and protect my precious 1003rd place um 
the little one for one drop actually very cleverly. So day one is July the 3rd, day two is July the 4th, day three is July the 5th, and very cleverly, the little one for one drop, which is a $1,111 charity tournament where the rake, the 111 goes to charity, starts immediately after day three. So you get knocked out of the main event as uh, 70% of the field tend to do on day one. Oh no, it's a slower structure, so it's about 50%. 50% of the people get knocked out on day one, you go play the charity tournament. It always made more sense to me to do it that way around rather than have a little one like days earlier when people aren't in town and are saving their money for the main event because they think they're going to have a deep run in that even when statistically they're not going to. What catches my eye is a couple of days after the little one for one drop a new tournament there's a $1,500 tournament on Wednesday the July the 10th that I am not eligible for it is a new tournament it is no limit hold'em and it is a bracelet winners only event now I ask you what in the hell is the point of a bracelet winners only event. You see, the thing about pokers with all advantage play is to scramble steel and get your hands on every small edge that you can do. And one of the easiest ways to do it in the game of poker is simply to play poker against people who are not as good or proficient as you. Because I'll tell you what, the uh, if you know just a little bit, then there are a lot of people that know very little. And even if you sit down on a table of a mid to high stakes tournament, you will kind of find that there's a couple of whales in that table and just people who have more money burning in their pocket than cents. And if you do come across a pro, and so there was this Chinese lady called JJ Liu on the main event, my main event table on day one and two, um, last time I played in the summer of 2017. Um, I couldn't... I do, I knew she was significantly better than me. She she knew game theory and she knew meta game a lot better than I did, and so I just ignored her. I had to put, I had to lay down aces to her that I wouldn't lay down against somebody else because I knew that she knew that I knew that she knew what she was doing, and therefore these levels of I know, you know, I know, I you know were sending my mind into mental gymnastics. Uh, and I put the I put the aces down. She was that good. She might have even had the worst hand, but she made me put those aces down. Well, I wouldn't have done that against a fish. Now, in a tournament that only allows people that have won bracelet winners, how many fish are you going to get playing that tournament? None. I mean, how many fish have won bracelets in the World Series of Poker? I don't know. Not very many. There might be the odd one or two that I've got through. I remember reading a story about somebody that entered a... One of my favourite games. I like playing mixed games. And in the mixed game is a game called Do 7, Triple Draw, Low Ball, where you try and make the worst hand. And somebody entered a Do 7, Triple Draw, Low Ball tournament not knowing how to play it and won the tournament which just goes to show you how much luck is in sometimes in the deal of the cards that he won this tournament not knowing the strategy behind it um but how many real fish are there people that don't know what they're doing in a collection of wsop bracelet winners one percent two percent fish and the rest are just really 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 competent uh, poker players so why would i want to spend fifteen hundred dollars and sit down with them all why would anybody want to spend fifteen hundred dollars and sit down with them 
Um, in my, I had three things that I wanted to do this year. At the beginning of the year, I wrote down I wanted to start. I wanted to open a cafe in my local town um, and do something for the community. Maybe um, sort of uh, give away some food to some people that needed it if that was necessary. While simultaneously doing really high quality food, I really haven't worked on the premise of this cafe very well. Secondly, I wanted to get my name on the golf shield that I play with my buddies this year. We the four of us have been playing this golf shield for years and my name is yet to appear on it and thirdly i wanted to cash in the world series of poker but now that i know the dates of it i think about the logistics of it i've said this before um it's it's still very far away but i don't understand how it's going to work just leaving my wife with sasha is bearable it's ewan that's the bit of the equation that's very difficult to understand um to say that he is hard work is perhaps somewhat of an uh, an understatement and so to go away i probably need about seven to ten days minimum in america just by myself going around lording it about can i get away with that it might have to be 2020 um but we will see anyway it's perfectly situated at a time of the year where i don't think there's a hell of a lot of sport going on the july the third fourth fifth let's just google that major sports events 2019 i looked at this before and off the top of my head i don't think so i think it's like a proper holiday this is another thing about bookie bashing an advantage play focus on when you don't need to pay attention to anything right because there are periods of time where you're going to be very busy third round of the FA Cup, and there are periods of time when there's not going to be a lot on. Okay, so it's Wimbledon, okay, but, you know, Wimbledon is never the the, the be-all and end-all of money-making opportunities, so I can cope without Wimbledon. It's the Women's World Cup in France. Again, I can cope without that. Um, the next big thing that I can see is the 18th to the 21st of July is the golf, the Open at Royal Portrush, and then... The Ashes between England and Australia, 1st of August. The the major one that I can see is the, is the Rugby Union World Cup, which isn't until the 20th of September. So, yeah, perhaps I'd, I'd say chances are about 25% just now of heading over to the main event. The chances of me playing the WSOP bracelet winners event is exactly 0. point. Zero. What else is in the news? Having a look through the greatest sporting events of all time, because I saw this article by Sports Retriever, the 21 greatest moments in sports history, and I read through it, and it was very interesting. Uh, they had the Rumble in the Jungle in October the 30th, 1974. Muhammad Ali... And George Foreman, they had LeBron James bringing NBA title back to Cleveland in 2016. The shot heard around the world, which was the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Giants in October of 1951. Maybe Jesse Owens in the 1936 Olympics or Maradona's handball, the hand of God in 1986. Versus England. There's other ones. Uh, Jackie Robinson's first game in the majors in 1947, which was crossing both cultural and racial div um, divides. Um, Michael Johnson, Michael Jordan's last shot for the Chicago Bulls. 
With under 19 seconds remaining, Jordan stole the ball from Carl Malone and on the following possession, the magic happened. MJ drove right past Byron Russell and crossed over back to the left where he pulled up and drained the game-winning two-point jump shot with just 5.2 seconds left on the clock, which is amazing. Michael Phelps, eight gold medals. One thing that they don't have, which instantly jumped to my mind, was a night which I'll never forget. This occurred in the summer of 1998 when I was 20 years old. As part, it wasn't even a pay-per-view event, it was part of the card of the King of the Ring, PPV. And a lot of um, fans have largely forgotten that Stellus card in the Steel City, which also featured Kane defeating Stone Cold Steve Austin for the WWE title in a first blood match, and MMA star Ken Shamrock defeating a young Dwayne Johnson for the KOR title. Those two main events hold their own places in wrestling lore. They are largely forgotten because of the other match that took place that evening the hell in the cell match stole the show while impacting the wrestling world and it still does 21 years later the idea was for foley mick foley mankind to start the match on the roof of the cell um this idea was from wwe hall of famer terry funk and after foley and funk stopped off at WWE headquarters in Stanford, Connecticut to review the first Hell in the Cell match, which was Shawn Michaels versus The Undertaker. The two hardcore legends quickly ascertained that the topping HBK versus The Taker wasn't going to be easy. Maybe you should throw him off the top of the cage to start the match, Terry Funk said, whilst laughing at Foley's dilemma. McFoley took Terry Funk's humour seriously, and the tongue-in-cheek idea became a reality. I equated taking the bump off the cell to like dropping an elbow off a higher-than-normal structure, Mick Foley said recently. I dropped elbows off the balcony of Kuroken Hall in Tokyo, so I thought starting the match on the top of the cell with an elbow through the Spanish announce table would be memorable and that I could pull it off. It was memorable, all right, to the point that fans today can still recite many aspects of the commentary from those frantic moments where pro wrestling and reality meshed into a near disaster. We did not rehearse anything, nor did I ever climb to the top of the cell prior to going up there for the first time during the match, McFoley said. Once I got up there, people looked like ants, and even though I rarely use any F-bombs, the word was racing through my mind over and over as I surveyed the crowd. God is my witness. He is broken in half. So, um, those are the words of Jim Ross, the commentator, as mankind, this huge individual, and the Undertaker stood on top of the cell. Mankind picked him up by a 
by his throat, slammed him onto the top of the cell, and the cell gave way. And Mick Foley fell 30 feet down to the canvas below, with the undertaker standing on top of the cell. Um, and from everything that I've read, this was not planned. This was a case of a sort of 20 to 25 stone man hitting the top of the cell and the cell just giving away. Jim Ross, who spoke those words, good God almighty, he's broken in half, they've killed him, says that he is often asked whether he prepared those lines for what was going to occur. And he has an emphatic no, because neither Jerry Lawler nor himself knew what was going to occur. What you heard was an organic and immersed moment in time. When asked his thoughts after crashing through the announcer's table, Foley said that he felt pretty good, but that his shoulder hurt. It should have hurt. It was dislocated. After stumbling to his feet, Mick Foley unbelievably began to climb back up the cage, which had no climbing footholds, as today's Hell in the Cell cages do. Foley lost all feelings in his hands whilst climbing and blamed his challenging ascent not just on a dislocated shoulder, but also the fact that he was bottom heavy and the fact that the most pull-ups he'd ever done was four, and that was in the sixth grade. The next brutal fall was through the roof to the canvas below, which was planned, but not in the manner that it occurred. It knocked Mick Foley out. It was the first time I'd ever been knocked out in a match, Foley remembered. This is where Jim Ross screamed, Will somebody stop the damn match? It seemed impossible that any human being could or should continue. As we all know, Mick Foley isn't normal. The Undertaker remembered that he mentioned to Funk, who had entered the cage after the second sickening fall through it, to see if Mick Foley was alive. The legendary Funk shared this story whilst inducting Mick Foley into the WWE Hall of Fame two years ago. Undertaker also recalled that he was distracted by what he thought was a massive bogey coming out of Foley's nose, and in reality, it was mankind's tooth. It's hard to believe that this match went on for 17 minutes before The Undertaker prevailed over mankind, with both men receiving much-deserved individual standing ovations upon leaving the ring. Mick Foley once said that looking back at this memorable moment caused him to take a long look at the business and his approach to it and recognise his own mortality for the first time as it related to the squared circle. It opened up the door to lighter presentations such as the rock and sock connection, says the man who travelled the world, sharing the stories of his magnificent career with fans during his popular one-man show. That was a one-man show that he toured through... Um, Birmingham about a decade ago and it was right at the beginning of me and Jen going out with each other and so I'd gone on a date with Jen and we'd gone for a few drinks in Birmingham city centre and then very soon after off well like I was very lucky after the first date I flew over to Australia for a mate's wedding which just made me as far as I was concerned come across quite cool it's like what are you doing this week I'm just heading to Australia for my mate's wedding don't worry about it it's like I head to I head to Australia for my mate's wedding every week so it's cool but then when I came back Mick Foley was touring the UK so I went around about New Year's Eve and this was close to Valentine's Day he was touring the UK doing a one-man lecture series on 
his career as Mankind, as Cactus Jack, as Mick Foley, and specifically talking about that Hell in the Cell match from 1998. Um, And so he was doing this lecture in the town hall. And as a surprise to the lovely girl that I was dating at the time, I got her tickets to go and see three-time WWE hardcore champion Mick Foley deliver a lecture about his wrestling escapades. That woman, ladies and gentlemen, ended up marrying me half a decade later. Do not tell me. It wasn't the most romantic jester you ever heard in your entire life. What's coming up this weekend? Well, Saturday's daytime focus for anybody. My brother-in-law turned to me recently and said, what should my focus be? With a limited bankroll, um, with advantage play just now, and my answer was the same as whether your bankroll is limited, whether your bankroll is medium, or whether it is maximum, and that is you should be focusing on these massive races from William Hill, where last Saturday they offered eleven horse race, they offered. Six, sorry, five places. So they were paying just under half of the field, which is insane. That was the 150 at Cheltenham. Sarah Delac won that at six to one. Now having a look at SP versus early prices. Um, the SP prices were, excuse me, Sarah Delac was six to one. SP throughout the day, he was five to one. Janika was 5-2. to two. During the day, he was at 11-4, so okay. SP was a little bit lower there. Bally Hill, 7-1 to one was SP. 6-1 to one during the day. Kings Rit, 10-1 SP. 11-2 to two during the day. And finally, the last place horse, Brelan Das, 9-1 to one SP, 8-1. to one. During the day. So, again, overwhelming majority of these horses are better if you bet at SP. The problem with betting at SP is that if you're betting assuming a liability at 20 to 1, because you can only assume the, uh, an SP of the price that he is at the time that you're betting. You can't assume that a horse is going to drift or steam. You can only assume that it's going to stay static. Well, if you if the horse is 20 to 1 and then steams in, you're not going to have enough money on him. Conversely, if the horse is 5-1 to one and then drifts out, you're going to have loads of money on him. And this is the difficulty with balancing SP. Now, if you can handle that difficulty and understand that there is the possibility of losing money and trying to figure out what that possibility is. Now, in this race, had Janika won, well, Janika was 5-2 to two and spent the majority of the day at 11-4 to four or better, really steamed in. Would have been a bad result if Janika had um, had won the race. Conversely, one day there will be a horse that we back at eight to one, goes off at sixteen to one, and wins, and we've got twice the amount of money on him. So these William Hill races are just too valuable to ignore. I mean, paying out five places on an eleven horse race. Walk into a William Hill with a blindfold on, throw a dart at a dartboard, and you will make money at that race. The other thing in on is the New England Patriots versus the A Los Angeles Rams. I'm going to skip the football this weekend simply because I'm away uh, Friday and Saturday, so I'm not going to be spending too much of my uh, attention on the 
soccer football. We do have the American football. Now, I ha- I posted an edge on the Untested Hypotheses forum recently that we should have had an edge in the New England versus Kansas City game, uh, which was the divisional playoff a couple of weeks ago. So, Sony Mitchell headed the first touchdown market on the exchange, which was just wrong. Sony Mitchell plays for the New England Patriots. And the reason it was wrong is because Kansas City were meant to be strong favourites to win the ball. So you start with a coin toss. The problem with the coin toss is that had Kansas City won the coin toss, they would have elected to have taken the ball. And if Bill Belichick wins the coin toss, he elects to give away the ball, meaning that in almost every circumstance, Kansas City are going to get the ball. So the first touchdown score is no longer a 50-50 between the two teams. It is weighted towards the Kansas City Chiefs. That meant that players such as Hill, Kelsey, to be first touchdown scorer, were being overvalued on the exchange by and the bookmakers could just follow the exchange prices. Tyreek Hill had scored two or more touchdowns in three of his last six games, so the double delight was good, looking good at Betfred. So we had all of those different things. And then what happened? For one of his rare moments in his entire career, Bill Belichick did decide that he was going to take the ball after winning the toss. So he had to have two things happen there. You had to have the Patriots win the toss and Bill Belichick do something completely bizarre that he very, very rarely does. Uh, And then, of course, Sony Mitchell, the person that I said was overvalued at the top of the market. The market got it right and he got the first touchdown, which was just so irritating because we got all of our logic right and we found the value and then just everything that we said wasn't going to happen did happen i still stand by the post it was a good post (laughs) and we'll still make we'll still make money doing that now looking at the super bowl final it's fair to say that the team that starts with the ball is not a 50-50 proposition here and new england are about a 28 percent chance to have a go on the offense when they win the toss which makes them about 64-36 to start on offense first. So if you had to think about why they might particularly start with the ball in this game, it's probably because the Rams are a team that ought to be looking to establish the run, given that the Patriots on defense are worse versus the run, and the Rams have a coach who is quite traditional in his way of thinking. And if the Rams win the toss, we can be fairly sure that they will defer. So again, we're not looking at a 50-50 market here. We're looking at a market that is weighted towards the Patriots taking the ball first. So if we're going to have a bet in this market, we want to be looking at something like a a New England Patriots first touchdown scorer. Sony Mitchell is up at the exchange at 8.0. James White... We can get 13 on James White, probably trade a little bit higher. And Rex Burkhead, back of 15, and lay of 17. So there's certainly one bet. And then other things that are associated with that, such as, you know, New England Patriots to score first, New England Patriots to be winning the first quarter, things like that. One thing that has come and gone was um, Tom Brady to score 400-plus yards at Skybet. I thought this was an interesting one. one of this one of these bets that... This harps back to the Dunning-Kruger effect, um, where you say, "Well, how, you know, are you saying that you know more than the traders?" Well, how many times? 
do the traders know that Tom Brady is going to pass more than 400 yards? It's somewhat of a black swan. If you look through the season that's just gone, he has just played 17 regular game seasons and two postseason games. And he is n not passed over 400 yards once. So you can say, well, is he, you know, with including the bye, you know, that, He's over 18 to 1 if you go off those figures. But that doesn't paint the entire story. Let's go back to 2017. Tom Brady was in the Super Bowl against the Philadelphia Eagles. And you could argue that he is a big game player. He's got a record, get this, 505 passing yards against the Eagles in 2017. Go to 2016 against the Falcons, he passed 400 and 86 yards, two out of the two last Super Bowls. He's not just passed over 400, but he's smashed past 400. So is 12 to 1 a decent price? A bet, Fred. Difficult to know. If you go off Super Bowls only, it's a great price. If you go off the season 2019, it's a bad price. If you throw in the fact that there are more points on average this season because... Quarterbacks are getting more protection from new rules that have come in, then it's a good price. If you go off the fact that Los Angeles have no concept of defense and simply try and outscore their opposition, then it's a good price. If you go off the number of times that he got more than 400 yards in the 2016 season, he did that three times out of 20 games it's a good price if you go off the number of times he got 400 yards or more in the 2017 season he did that one two three times it's a good price so the we are talking about small sample sizes here but there is certainly a lot more information saying that it's a good price than it's a bad price and if i was had a gun to my head and i was forced to price it up I would price it up, I think, between 8.5 and 9. You can get a normal price of 5 to 1 about it on BetSafe, but that's a single bookmaker priced up, and you've literally no idea how much markup to add on top of that, so it's not very useful to us. It is available on Matchbook just now. I think 10.8 was the last price that I saw. You could back at 10.8 and lay at 11. I definitely know that that market is artificially inflated because... There are more layers than there are back backers in that market. But I would take 10.8 all the way down to 10.0 as a price on Matchbook, even factoring commission, because I think a true price for that is nine or less. And again, you could argue, why are we being arrogant that we know more than the traders here? And the answer is, well, we have the passing yardage for Tom Brady for this season, last season, the year before. What more information than this do the traders have? He didn't play any more games than this. There were a few preseason games. You could argue that they're not relevant. So exactly what is it that the traders are looking at that we're not looking at? I'm forming the opinion here, looking at this, that there's every chance Tom Brady could score more than 400 yards. So I'm backing this on Matchbook. And if you hear this Bashcast before Sunday evening at 11.30pm, I hope you can get on, Bash, um, on Matchbook. And if you can take everything down to 10 and perhaps if it's a little bit of fun and you're staying up for the game and you're doing a bit of bankroll management and you've just got a few quid extra that you can spare why not have some fun just go a little bit high on your staking in this game it just makes it fun every now and again and now and again it also makes it easier to stay up during the Super Bowl and watch the game if you're not going to bet on that 
then I do hope that whatever you are betting on is value. Until next week's Bashcast, this is Tom signing out. This is Big. Can you hear it again? Do you have time?